We had a notable RFA signing, but not the one you might expect. And we're going to delve into a big move for a Western Conference team in a very short rapid-fire segment. And that is because this week we are starting our division previews and starting with the one that both of us know all too well, the Atlantic Division. Can the Tampa Bay Lightning be stopped? Will the Leafs actually win a playoff round? How will the Bruins do after last year's are the Panthers a threat? And what a team like Montalembo, could they play the role of spoiler? We break it down in episode 183 of the Lace Them Up podcast, which starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go any further, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right. Question 68. Which scoring line of Hall of Famers was the first to finish 1 2 3 in an NHL scoring race. I'll repeat the question because it's another loaded one. Which scoring line of Hall of Famers was the first to finish one, two, and three in an NHL scoring race? Your options are A, New York's align A line of Frank Boucher and Bill and Bun Cook. B, Detroit's production line of Gordie Howe, Ted Lindsay, and Sid Abel. C, Montreal's punch line of Maurice Richard, Elmer Lack, and Toe Blake. Elmer Lack was nicknamed Punch, I believe. And uh, Boston's Kraut line of Milt Schmidt, Woody, Dumar, and Bobby Bauer. Hmm. Um, I, I was for sure thinking Gretzky, Messier, and Curry were going to be there. <laughs> um, so I was expecting that. But I guess I'll go with the Islanders because I guess I think... They were dominant in that time, so I'm going to go with the Islanders um, for this answer. I think I think you're probably thinking the Rangers. Oh. Because Frank Boucher, Bill, and Bun Cook, they don't sound like Islanders players to me. I thought the first but, wasn't but the it's, first it's one Islanders? it's a team in New York you're thinking of. Uh, yeah, I was thinking uh, of that. So New York, yeah. yeah, New York's A-line, Frank Boucher, Bill Cook, Bun Cook, that was uh, the A-line. Sure. Now I'm feeling less confident about it, but I'll, I'll, say, <laughs> I'll say that. Yes. You're still going with that? Yeah, I'll go with that. Well, you should have gone. You should have gone with the one with your Bruins. That was Milt Schmidt, Woody Dumar, uh, Bobby Bauer. Okay, of course. Yes, that's yeah, fitting that, that though. Was, but... That was way, way back. 1939, 1940. We're talking oh, about wow, that. Wow. That was a long time ago. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh well. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I had a bad showing here. I guess. Well, I'll do better. I'll do better. In, in, in fairness, that was a tough question. Mm. I wouldn't have gotten. I mean, I don't think you would get a lot of these questions. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't. So. <laughs> um. All right. So yeah, we're going to uh, just to make it easier on us, and we don't want to have two super long episodes where we talk about like where we focus on different divisions. I mean, focus on different conferences. We're going to spread this out, this preview out, 
um, and just focus on one division at a time. Um, it'll still be super long, but uh, maybe not as long um, as as it as it would have been. Um, so yeah, I have. So we're gonna start with the Atlantic Division this week. Um, <clears throat> in terms of a preview, um, I have a list of all the major ads that the like the, that teams made, major subtractions that teams made, um, players that are still, um, you know, um, RFAs. Um, it's only three teams this week that I have players that are yet to sign, and I think you can guess which ones. Um, and also, uh, so, and then we also, so me and Steve also have, uh, we, we did every other one, um, where we pick, um, which player, a player to watch. And this may not be the most, obviously if we pick the best player on the team, it will be like, it'll be kind of boring. So let's, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the, like storylines in terms of like players that it's going to be interesting to see how they do um in um this season just because yep. of um for whatever reason um and then we'll just give a predictions for each team um uh, uh based on how we think they're gonna do so um so the first one is my boston bruins um I'm doing it by alphabetical order. Um, yeah, it's it's not Boston. because it's a coincidence and they just happen to be as Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's also that, but it's also uh, <laughs> that uh, it works that way. <laughs> it's yeah. also your show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, major ads here. We have... Um, the Bruins didn't have too much um, in terms of major ads. Uh, the only one really was... Brett Ritchie, um, they because um, of like just the cap situation with McAvoy and Carlo um, yet to sign. It's kind of like tough to make big moves when you uh, when you do that. Uh, and then uh, major subtractions: uh, Marcus Johansson left, um, and Noel Chari also left. Um, and then yet to sign, we have McAvoy and Carlo, as I just mentioned, because they're going to be RFAs. Um, yeah, I guess before I get into my player to watch, because this is also coincidence that this is, I get this team to player to watch, um, or my turn to do that. But um, we can just basically go over, um, like, just the thing, like, their their team and how we think they're going to do um mm -hmm. i would say uh you know because of, i mean i've talked about this right after the stanley cup final um i'm not so sure if the bruins will go back to the stanley cup final um just because you know it's so hard to do it back to back and um it's just tough and mm -hmm. it's not like the bruins are um that young of a team um, so that's where I get a little bit concerned because it, it seems so hard to get it, get back into the Stanley Cup Finals that I'm not sure if they'll do it again. Also, I think Chara mentioned like this week that he's not sure if he's going to play. Uh, he may not be ready for the season opener. Um, so that will be concerning. Um, 
So our defense may be a little bit bad, especially if uh, McAvoy and Carlo don't start, um, don't get signed right away as well. So um, that could be concerning where our only good defenseman is going to be Tory Krug. Um, I say we as like I'm a part of the team. Um, but, you know, at the same time, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand are the best uh, top line in, in hockey. Um, and then you also have David Krejci um, as a really good second-line center. Uh, Jake DeBrusque is, um, is coming into his own. They still need to figure out who that second-line uh, right-winger is going to be, but... Um, but it, it could like that's where um, it gets a little bit interesting in that in that sense, and and of course you have Tuka Rask and uh, Yaroslav Halak, um, kind of uh, being system guys or you know being the tandem that they were last year. So that could also help out things. So I think they'll still make the playoffs, but I don't know how far they'll go in the playoffs. Yeah, that that's. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see uh, your reasoning behind that. Um, their their offense as a whole is fairly respectable, like you said. Their top line is one of the best in the league. We said it enough times on this podcast, but it, it remains true to this day. Um, depth wise, I liked what I saw from Charlie Coyle in the playoffs. Sean Corrali has been known to have uh, several big games in a Bruins uniform as well. Um, but like you said, the hands of time will either be their biggest asset or their biggest downfall, yep. and um it's it's part it's partly on stuff that they can't control like injuries age and um contract negotiations beyond this year tory krug like you said well the biggest task for tory krug is to sign an extension with the bruins right and uh apparently uh there's a report that you know maybe he'd be willing to take more money to keep the band together Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's going to be to the point where he takes like a hometown discount I don't know. Like I'm that. hoping I, I think, uh, Kevin LeBlanc. I think he still wants to get paid, right? So, yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. But he said so, that. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, it, no, it, it, it's totally fine. But it, like, he's not going to be the only one. You got Kevin Miller. You got Matt Grizzlick, Chera, who you know age is a concern with him. Yeah. Uh, Jake DeBrusque as well. Chris Wagner, Joaquin Nordstrom entering the final year of their deals. You got core guys like Tuca, David Krejci, Bergeron. Over the next two to three years, they'll need extensions. Um, the depth in goal is still relatively uncertain for the long term because Halak will need a new contract after this year. You have Max Legacy in the minor leagues replacing Zane McIntyre, but even then, how confident are you that you just put Max Legacy in the lineup if something happens with Halak and be confident that, okay, he's the guy that's going to be buying Tuca. We're fine with it. So... There's a lot of short-term, there's a lot of long-term question marks so with, with the Bruins and, and how the new ownership is going to handle that, and I'll leave that to you to explain second. Yeah. But um, you, you talk about the age of this group. Um, I think the concern is the age of this group plus the other teams that are in their division. At some point, you would think Toronto and Tampa Bay are going to figure it out, and they're going to better the Bruins in the long term. Uh, if you look at Florida and what they've been able to do, Buffalo and Montreal, you never know what they could do. So um, I, that that being said, I think 
their depth pieces, losing Achari uh, and Marcus Johansson to Atlantic Division foes doesn't help them. Uh, that being said, worse things could have happened. They still have a pretty good team. They have young guys like Jack Stadnika, who I think at some point this year are going to get a good taste yeah. to the big leagues. You have guys like Carson Coleman, Connor Clifton. I think you're going to see them having increased goals. Um, this team had like 49 wins last year, over 100 points, finished second in the Atlantic. I think they're probably going to have um, – a pretty successful season all the same i think 45 to 50 wins is definitely realistic 95 to 100 points definitely possible they're going to be in a back and forth race with the leafs again surprise surprise but yeah. um I, I i feel like a robot because a lot of my predictions from this year are similar to last year but i think the bruins if they if they do secure a top three spot they won't secure second they they um Losing Achari and Johansson will, will cost them in that regard. They won't have home ice advantage if they make the playoffs. Okay, interesting. So you have them as the third seed. Yeah, yeah. I, I put I put them as a solid three in the Atlantic. This yeah. Year. Uh, well, first off, I'm gonna go with my, I'll do my player to watch and then I'll do my prediction here. Uh, yeah. But uh, the um, I yeah. So my player to watch is gonna be Charlie Coyle. Um, mm -hmm. Particularly because I was going to go with David Krejci because I think it's it's kind of interesting that he's the second line center, but I think Charlie yeah. Coyle's the more interesting player in this dynamic because the two biggest weaknesses in the Bruins lineup, um, in terms of forwards, is that second line right winger or that third line center role, mm -hmm. and Charlie Coyle can play both. Um, so I will. So I will be curious to see. Currently on daily faceoff, they have Charlie Coyle as the second line right winger, and uh, Jack Stanicka is going to be the third line center, which mm -hmm. is I think eventually what it's going to happen is Jack Stanicka is going to be our third line center, no. but um, it's still going to be interesting to see how Charlie Coyle does. Um, he was a little bit, uh, he wasn't great in the regular season, but during the playoffs, he was like one of our best players. So I'm also kind of curious to see how he does um, now that he's more acclimated in Boston. Um, I believe like, in, let me look at these, these stats up here. Um, in, uh, in 21 games, he had six points in the regular season for the Bruins. But then in the playoffs, he had 16 points in 24 games. So I will be curious. I feel like this he could be a good X factor where no one's really talking about him. But he could be. Oh, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> the like it's um, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, like it, he could be a, an X factor for the Bruins, where when guys like Pasternak and Marshawn and Bergeron aren't playing to the way that they should be playing and seeing for Krejci and DeBrusque, then you have to rely on guys like Charlie Coyle to pick up the slack. And um, yeah. and if he's going to do it, that, that's really the key to success if Charlie Coyle, only Charlie Coyle, uh, can do that. Um, yeah, and like as for, I was going to say Jack Zanicka, but um, I have a feeling that he's going to be like a mid-season, like he's going to start the league in the AHL or start the yeah. season in the AHL, and then he'll probably come back up 
in like January if he does well. Um, it's like the Bruins are in the fortunate position where they don't have to rely on their pr- prospects that much. So I don't love um, rushing a prospect like this up, especially when we need someone like him. But at the same time, um, it makes sense to just develop him that way where you give him some time in Providence, make sure he's ready and works out all the kinks, and then you put him into the lineup um, and see how he does. But uh, who knows what they're going to do. Um, as for predictions, um, yeah, I was I was kind of like tossing and turning between or between Tampa, Boston, and Toronto um, in terms of where I think they'll go. But I'm a little bit more optimistic about my team than you are uh, than you are about the Bruins. Um, so I. And, and like I just mentioned, I'm not sure how far they'll make it in the playoffs, but I do know that they'll definitely make it. Um, so I'm going to say I, I put them second in the division um, for that reason. Um, Jer- and then we also, this is going to be a bit of a Bruins send segment here because uh, you have a bit of sends news as well when we get to it. But um, yeah. there is some Bruins news that I do want to get to before... Um, anything else. Well, first off, I m- mentioned that Charlie uh, Chara said that he's not um, he's not uh, going to uh, he may not play in the season opener. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we want him back, but and, and with the McAvoy and Carlo news, we need to see if he's going to do um, you know, we kind of need Chara even more now, but whatever. Um, the other news um, is that Jeremy Jacobs um, officially gives his ownership to uh, to his kids. Um, uh, Charlie Jacobs um, has been in the the organization and been kind of handling the Bruins for Jer- for Jeremy Jacobs for the last couple of years. I remember in I think like in twenty fifteen. Uh, Charlie Jacobs like men like had this press conference where he was unhappy um, with how the Bruins season was going and that kind of caused a stir with everyone because that like that kind of implied that he wanted to like treat everyone or something um, but uh, so so that's kind of his playing style I think he's kind of been quiet since then but um, so that'll be interesting. I guess the thing is, is that like obviously Jeremy Jacobs, he he has been a successful owner in terms of like the Bruins are one of the more relevant teams in the league, um, in his run. But at the same time, and, he, and, and it's been one of the league's most tenured too, because like exactly. we're talking like the seventies. This guy's been the owner. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and he's also been the you know, I. He's been all that stuff, but at the same time, he was a big proponent of for the owner's side in the in the two lockouts, where he was like refusing to not be, um, uh, to get a salary cap. Uh, when the Bruins did have Ray Bork, he was very cheap, um, and did, didn't get any players to uh, accompany Ray Bork. Uh, when he was playing, I mean, of course, Cam Neely, but like he could have done more. 
Um, and then, like, I think there was, like, reports that when the Bruins were out to get Chara and Mark Savard that one year, um, like, Chirelli and Cam Neely had to, like, convince him that this was a good idea to do that. So he's very cheap in that sense, and that's where a lot of Bruins fans and NHL fans are very critical about him. Oh, yeah, and he also, like, uh, refused to believe that CTE was a thing um, in that sense. There's also, like, some, like, he's made some remarks uh, about being, like, elitist or something like that. So he may not, he's not the, the best guy um, for, for that. Um, but I th- there is something to be said for a, be owning a team and bringing them into um into relevance um, in that sense. Like the Bruins would not be where they are today um, without him. So for that, I, I appreciate him, but at the other end, um, it's it's kind of hard to appreciate him when he, you know all this other stuff about him. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how, how um, the new heirs to the throne, mm-hmm. so to speak, especially when there's multiple um, yeah, that's people getting this position. Like it could be a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. Like th- the next two to three years are going to be so pivotal for Bruins history. Yeah. Um, they really, really, really need to be careful what decisions they make. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Yeah, for sure. It's it's going to be interesting. I imagine Charlie Jacobs will like this is only like in like technical terms because I was just seeing that um, according to Ty Anderson he. Jeremy Jacobs like gave it to his six kids because um, they get more money that way but like in reality Charlie Jacobs is really the owner or the person that's going to be do all the owner stuff yeah um, like like yeah. Uh, like uh, even like with the Lakers like yep. when when their longtime uh, owner kind of like took a backseat a little bit um, and mm-hmm. you, you, like uh, some of his family members are, are taking it over. You, you, you have the family members that are there, and like you, you see them, but there's the odd one or two that really you hear from, and and they do a lot of the talking. So it sounds like Charlie Jacobs is the guy that's going to do a lot of the talking now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it will be something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, and I'm sure I'll mention it during the Bruins 10 segment if there's ever anything big. I don't think it'll be as bad as your sends, but um, it will. It, it, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll see rest assured, sure. the status yeah. of your ownership is better than the status of ours. I'm going to knock on wood on that here. Um, <laughs> Every <right>. team should. <laughs> uh, let's go to the, the Buffalo Sabres here. Um, the, they kind of made a lot of moves when I was doing this list here. Um, they first they uh, made a uh, they they signed Marcus Johansson. Um, they also signed uh, Jimmy VC, or I think they got him through trade. Yeah, um, yeah, they got Jimmy VC through trade, Yoki Haru through trade, Colin and Miller Colin through Miller, trade. Yeah, that's the well. other one. Uh, those are the main four that they added. Um, and then in terms of major subtractions, they didn't really subtract anyone. Um, Alex Nylander is the only one that's really the the big. Um, guy that they left off, but he didn't really play that much um, in Buffalo. Um, he played more in Rochester. Um, I did have uh, 
the the Sabres don't have a ton of players yet to sign. In fact, they don't have any um, yet to sign. But um, they do have a notable draft pick that they picked that could play potentially this year. Um, although he did break his thumb or uh, or he broke his like uh, hand, um, I think shortly after the draft. So mm. it's like maybe he won't play or it could cut into his time. But Dylan Cousins, uh, they did draft uh, eighth overall, I think, or maybe it was ninth overall. It was top ten for it was sure. Top ten, yeah. Um, so he'll if he plays this year or next year or next year, it doesn't matter. He'll he should be a good player and be a be a pick for them. But I didn't I didn't want to include him because there is a he has an outside chance of making the team. Um, yeah, so do you want to go with, um, what do you think of the Sabres first, and then we can, you can do the players to watch. Yeah, sure. So, um, the Sabres are a very short-term team right now, kind of like Vegas in their first 12 months of existence. Um, if you look at their forwards, Ocposo, Skinner, and Eichel are the only ones with a contract longer than the next two years. If you add Johansson, that's four forwards with a term longer than this year. Um, so there's a lot of guys that are going to be UFAs to NORFAs after this year. Uh, if you look at them on defense, not as short-term, but still kind of. Uh, Bogosian, yeah. Montour, and Scandella all in need of new deals as of next July. Um, Carter Hutton, Linus Olmark uh, with uh, two years and one year respectively on their deals. Um, so um, the goaltending there is short-term. So they're just basically putting out this product on the ice and, and seeing who's going to be in it for the long haul, what works, what doesn't. Um, and they also have a, a lot of changes uh, behind the bench uh, as well. Um, it, it definitely looks like a team that's in the feeling out process of things. Um, but even then, there's an added level of excitement and an urge to prove something to everybody. You, um, I'm just reading uh, off-season comments from Jeff Skinner, who signed a massive extension with the Sabres. You Jimmy VC, who was brought in from the Rangers. Both are eager to this team. I also saw an article uh, where Jack Eichel talks about his Game 7 experience. He was actually in Boston watching Game 7, uh, watching the Blues win the Stanley Cup, watching his former teammate Brian O'Reilly get to hoist the Cup. And he, he described it as a very surreal experience. And something that you would think just adds to what drives him every day and um there there's going to be a lot of guys in buffalo uh, with something to prove and um it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they could they come up with because again there are a lot of new faces uh, especially on the coaching staff you have mike bales joining the team uh he was the goalie coach in carolina last year you have don granado getting added to the coaching staff and then ralph kruger behind the bench who taste control after Phil Housley was fired uh, last year. Um, on defense, they also have a lot of depth in Yoki Haru, Scandella, Colin Miller, Brendan Montour, Rasmus Dahlin, Rasmus Tristelainen, which is also going to be an interesting storyline, what happens with him, uh, if he gets traded, if he stays. Um, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces, but overall, he still makes the team better if he's there. So I like what the Sabres have to offer, what they have to work with right now. It looks pretty good. Um, I think they certainly look better than what they were last year. Marcus Johansson 
adds a bit of depth to their bottom six. So does Jimmy VC. And I think something really that they lacked was bottom six depth. And I think that's overall going to have a positive effect on the team as a whole. The worry I have with Buffalo is that they are banged up a bit defensively. Uh, Bogosian's going to be out for a bit. Uh, Matt Hunwick might not even play at all this year uh, due to injury. Um, and just the amount of improvements that the other teams have made in the Atlantic Division, um, Florida, who we'll get to um, in, a, in in the next little while, is, is one of those teams that really improved and, and really changed the outlook of their franchise. Um, I think the Sabres will definitely be in contention. Will they have enough firepower to get it done along with team defense and finish in the top four? or even top three in the Atlantic, that remains to be seen. I think they're probably adjusting for a wildcard position come March. But if I had to slot them anywhere, I would slot them fifth in the division, 40 to 45 wins, 85 to 95 points. Huh. Um, like I said, once March approaches, they'll be in the hunt. But um, down the stretch, um, I think they're probably going to come up short. It's nothing that they did it's a lot to do with what the other teams did in the offseason and i think they did more than than what buffalo did but i think it, it's definitely a, a, a positive step in the right direction i i think they're on the cusp as for my player to watch um i'll go with the former bruin of yours marcus johansson um the real task for him has been staying healthy for a full season only played in 58 games last year got 30 points which is actually pretty decent um, if he gets 60-plus games under his belt this year, I think he could do a lot of damage uh, yeah. uh, either in the bottom six or maybe in a top six role. It all depends on where they slot him. But um, I think he provides a lot to, to Buffalo and makes him better. So um, I'm really interested to see what he can provide. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm, the Sabres are an interesting team this year because I feel like they made a lot of moves um and all that stuff and i and also when i like um you know i feel like they they made a lot of trade i don't even think they're done yet uh especially because of they got brandon montour um last trade deadline they got colin miller um yoki arhu may not be ready fully this year so maybe they will keep him in rochester for a little while but um, those are all like right-handed defensemen, and it's been kind of rumored for a while that Rasmus Ristolainen is going to leave, um, or is going to be traded pretty soon. So um, I I feel like in the next coming weeks, Rasmus Ristolainen will be traded uh, to some team, um, and and all that stuff. So I I don't think this is the roster we're looking at now is the complete roster because Rasmus Ristolainen. Ristolainen will garner some return in some way um, when he is traded. Um, I think it will be happen before the season starts even. Um, yeah, and, and I think this, the Sabres are an interesting team because like the Bruins, they have like three very good players um, in Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, and Sam Reinhardt. Um, everyone else is kind of, but the only difference is, is that everyone else is pretty much a question mark, whereas the Bruins have like David Krejci and Jake DeBrusque who are solid players, but we don't know what Casey Middlestad's gonna do. Connor Sheary has his moments, but he's we haven't seen him be consistent. Same can be said for Jimmy Vesey, um, which I'll be curious about. Same for uh, Marcus Johansson, he's a similar type player for him. 
Victor Olufsen um, could be a good player. I've heard heard some rumblings about him. I think he played a little bit towards the end of the year, but um, he'll be interesting to see if he can be consistent as well. So consistency will be the big key for the Sabres in terms of their, uh, um, you know, how their season goes. And they also got Ralph Kruger, who could be a great coach um, and all that stuff. So I am more high on the Sabres than you are, I think. Um, I get the sense that way. Um, and I hope that, like, you know, maybe Casey Middlestad will take the leap. And um, I think that's where it will all depend hinge on is if Casey Middlestad can be that second line center that we all thought he would be when he was drafted. Um, and But... I, I still have the Sabres as um, in the fifth spot um, for because uh, I don't like I feel like the the Bruins the the Leafs and the Lightning are on their own tier they're on the top tier of this division and then you have the Sabres the Panthers and the Canadians um, as the second tier and I, do, I don't see any team and and it's like tough for me to rank those three um, in order of how I see they're going. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Sabres get to fourth in the division, and I also wouldn't be surprised if the Sabres get to sixth in the division. Um, but um, I'm going to put them in fifth for now, um, and I, I guess I may have just spoiled my picks here, but um, but that's yeah, how I see it. Hard, hard to believe that you say you're higher than the Sabres and you put them exactly where I put them in the Atlanta. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, it's just it's not it's not that I don't believe in Buffalo. It's just the Atlantic is so tough. Yeah, I, I think the only way they get in is through the wild card. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, it, it's more just it has more to do with the fact that the the Leafs and the um, the Lightning and the Bruins are so good that mm -hmm. like they kind of have the top three spots already. But it's like, I could see the Sabres beating out the Florida Panthers and the Montreal Canadiens um, and, and potentially getting a wild card. Um, but, you know, it's I still have them fifth. Um, we'll see. Mm -hmm. um, Alright, let's go to the Detroit Red Wings here. Um, <laughs> I guess we can kind of fly through this here, but... Um, <laughs> Because they didn't really add stuff or subtract stuff. They're not really a huge uh, team um, in that regard. But uh, they did, uh, they lost um, Thomas Vanek. Um, they also, but they added Calvin Picard. And we're not really sure if he's even going to be play. Or I'm not even sure if he's going to even play. Um, yeah, um, well, it's tough to tell with Bernier and, yeah. and Howard already there. They they also brought in Adam Ernie through a trade with Tampa, Valtteri Filippolo, oh, Patrick Beamer as well. But other, other than that, they didn't do that much. I forgot about Adam Ernie. That was a good one that I should have mentioned. Um, and, um, yeah, and then a notable draft pick, uh, Moritz Seider. Um, he may uh, play this year just because uh, he was – you know, they picked him, like, sixth overall, very high, um, almost too high, and I was thinking maybe it could be, like, a Jespery, Kakinemi type situation, um, where, like, you know, or Pierre-Luc Dubois type situation where, 
uh, he plays the next year and everyone's all like, oh, of course, you know, what were we thinking? Of course, Moritz Sider is a good player or something like that. But um, he has an outside chance of um, playing, but I think it's uh, kind of smart to uh, not <laughs> let him play right now. Um, and, and let them yeah, develop. Yeah, AHL, overseas, wherever, it's yeah. not the NHL this year. They For need sure. to take their time with them. Um, so, um, and also, like, you know, Steve Steve Yarsman knows what he's doing. I, you know, and and when Steve Yarsman was on the Red Wings, like, that was the thing that the prof, like, the Red Wings prospects were hardly ever played on, on Detroit. But I think that had more to do with the, the fact that they had good players on their team. Uh, this year, uh, the Red Wings, I mean, it's basically just Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha and Andreas Athanasu and a bunch of nobodies. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's really where this comes from. I mean, I guess like Tyler Bertuzzi and Philip Sedina should play this year. So that'll be cool. But like on, on the same regard, it's like, it's basically, this is just a team that's tanking or you know that that could end up getting Alex, Alexis Lafreniere next year um, mm-hmm. and um, you know I wouldn't be surprised Philip Hironik, uh really pulled into his own last year so he could be interesting as well um, do you want me to get into my players to watch before you talk about the Red Wings or should I do that now all right. Or do you want to talk about the Red Wings? Um, I'll talk quickly about the Red Wings because it's pretty it's pretty short and sweet. It okay. kind of touches on what you touched on. Uh, Philip Sedin, I'm interested to see what he can bring. Tyler Bertuzzi in a top six role, that could be interesting to watch too. Um, they've lost a fair bit of leadership because of the Nicholas Cronwell retirement. But again, like you said, Steve Eisenman's the GM. He knows what he's doing. Um, as a player, when he entered the Red Wings uh, system, the Red Wings weren't in a good place. He changed the outlook on how everyone sees Detroit. And from the mid-90s to the early 2000s and even to the late 2000s, the Red Wings were still considered a team that everyone else modeled, tried to model themselves after. Like they were, they were kind of like the poster boys on how to build a winner. And the thing is, like we've said, the Atlantic division is so tight, inconsistent offense, decent goaltending, suspect defense that gets you absolutely nowhere. And it remains unchanged. This team is one that's not going to strike fear into you. Um, they have some guys with promise in the farm system. They have guys like Larkin and Mantha that will hopefully take another big step forward. You have Andreas Athanasiu, but other than that, what do you have really? They they don't have all the necessary tools to be good. Um, and I think they're gonna have to experience more pain uh, yeah. before they really start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, so for the Red Wings and where I have them, I say 30 to 35 wins, 65 to 75 points. Um, they're going for another top 10 pick in June, and I think they'll finish seventh in the division. Yep, I have them seventh as well. Um, my player to watch is uh, Philip Sedina. You did mention it a little bit um, in your preview. Mm-hmm. Um, I he I was just looking at his AHL stats. Um, he had 35 points in 59 games. I I do remember him like kind of picking it up towards the end of the season. So. I will be curious to see that, but like, um, and how he does. But he was like 
you know, it was kind of a surprising um, in the 2018 draft when he did slip that far because he, he was supposed to be picked uh, third overall. A lot of projections had him third overall, and then all of a sudden he slips down um, to the ninth overall. Uh, picked uh, that Detroit gets him on. So I think I think yeah. it was I think I don't think was it ninth or was it six? I don't think it was that low. But in, oh, in any six? case, it might have in been any six. case, it wasn't third or fourth overall like right, where right. he was picked. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, Brady Kachuk has been pretty good, and same same with Kotkinemi. So those mm-hmm. like the Canadians. Oh, right, right. So it was the Canadians and the Senators uh, passed on him, and then the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, pick Barrett. Oh, they Hayden. went with Barrett Hayden. That's right. Yeah. So all three of those picks are, ended up actually being pretty good this year. Um, but the uh, yeah. So Philip Zadina has only played nine games in the NHL. Um, he had a goal and two assists um, in that time. But um, but obviously that's a small sample size. So it's 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 tough to really see how he does. But at the same time, it's like. You know, because the Red Wings are in rebuild mode, they don't have a lot of players necessarily that are going to take up a, a, a huge amount of ice time. Um, it's kind of like smart to just bring him up now and see, like, get him acclimated to the NHL before you really need him to perform and see how he does. So um, I, I will be curious to see. It's kind of like a sink or swim type situation. He didn't have as good of a performance in the AHL as people expected him to be, but um, but it could be a different story in the NHL. I think like the same thing kind of happened with Matt Barzal, where it took him like a year to get acclimated, and then once he was in the NHL, he was like dominant. So um, it could be a similar situation where I think Zadina could get maybe get some Calder. Uh, nominations if he is good enough, but um, I, I feel like he has an outside shot of even getting that. Um, but I'll be curious to see how he does because um, I think he is gonna. He should be a big part of their future if he plays well enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. As for predictions, um, yeah. I mean, you you kind of nailed it. Um, that they're just they don't have enough pieces especially on their defensive side of things uh, like uh, Mike Green and Philip Aronik are pretty much their only good defensemen that they have um, and and that's kind of like Philip Aronik and Mike Green are kind of on the fringe of being good um, at this moment so um, it's not it's uh they're kind of in a weird state in that sense, and their goalie situation. Jimmy Howard is a good goaltender, but um, it, it is kind of tough when he like the the team ahead of him is not great. So, um, so yeah, I think they're they're going to be seventh in the division as well. Um, all right, let's go to the Florida Panthers here. Um, they made probably the biggest move, um, maybe out of every team, not just in the Atlantic Division, but their biggest move was, uh, I guess actually the Rangers probably made the biggest move this offseason, but um, <laughs> never mind. De- but, definitely top three moves of the offseason. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll say that. Um, they, uh, the Florida Panthers, um, they added Sergei Bobrovsky, 
Um, they also added Noel Chari, uh, Anton Strelman, and Brett Connolly. Um, and then their main subtractions were uh, Roberto Luongo and James Reimer. Um, you have the players to watch. I, um, I want to do the predictions after you do it, but I'll, because uh, I think that's just been our trend right now, or that's been the, the pattern so far, but uh, the I'll just talk about them a little bit quickly here. Uh, Barkov is probably one of the most underrated players in the league right now. Um, yeah, that's a safe bet. And, um, I mean, to the point where I feel like everyone else, in the, like, I feel like in hockey, like, for you and me or any like hardcore NHL fans like they know how good Alexander Barkov is but like you know he should be getting even more acclaimed pretty soon um and uh he doesn't so I I see I think he's very underrated uh same with like I feel like they have a ton of underrated players um in like Vincent Trocek as well uh Jonathan Huberto is pretty underrated same with Dadanoff um, even Mike Hoffman's pretty underrated. Uh, Frank Vetrano as well. Um, is yeah. a, I mean, he's a depth guy, but he's also a pretty good depth guy as well. Yeah, pretty quality depth yeah, um, guy. Same with, like, Keith Yandel. He's one of the best defensemen in the league, but he never gets any respect. Well, yeah, he, he wasn't even an honorable mention for the I top know. 20 defensemen. Yeah, I mean, if, if that means anything. But, yeah, <laughs> Keith Yandel, like, but, like, he consistently has, like, 60 points every year. Um, yeah, he was an all-star last yeah, year. Yeah, and he was an all-star last year. So it's like, uh, come on, people. Frank Keith Yandel's really good. Um, Aaron Ekblad, you know, he was a former first overall pick. I don't think he's been as good as we expected him to be, but he's still yeah. a pretty solid pl- player. Um, it's just we're waiting for that breakout season. I guess it's still possible that he could break out, but it's... Um, it doesn't seem likely. I don't know, um, but I, th- I think people are lower on him than usual than they should be. And then of course you have Sergei Bobrovsky, which helps their matters. I remember last year during our preview, like the only thing that we were going to worry about with the Panthers is their um, is their goaltending situation because we weren't sure how good. Roberto Luongo was going to be, and if he, when he was healthy, he wasn't necessarily stellar, and the same can mm-hmm. be said with James Reimer. And now that they don't have either one of them, and they added a guy like Sergei Bobrovsky, that does give them a um, a bit of a um, you know an advantage that way. So it it could be like a situation. Like the Blues, for instance, where the where we said like, oh, all the Blues need is a good goaltender, and they would be set. Um, and that's the same thing that can be said for the Florida Panthers. Um, ha- however, I'm not sure if Bobrovsky is going to be good. We'll see. Um, but uh, first, le- let me go to you for your players to watch, and then I guess you can do your predictions. Um, yeah, well. so so in regards to, like, Sergei Bobrovsky, I think he's going to be good. It's just, is he going to be ordinary good? Is he going to be Vezina Trophy winning good? Yeah. Uh, that that remains to be seen. And they also have this kid named Sam Montembeau, who yep, had uh, some good moments in the in the NHL last year, was an AHL All-Star on top of that. So 
Um, I, I think they have a capable backup uh, to help out Bobrovsky as well. Uh, you're talking about how underrated Florida is. I think part of the fact that Florida is so underrated is because they live in the same state as the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sure. And everyone's just yeah, looking at Tampa Bay Lightning as the kings of the NHL and, you know, best regular season, 60-plus wins, almost 130 points. Nikita Kucherov absolutely torching the league before our very eyes. Uh, Vasilevsky being one of the highest paid goalies in the league now. Um, it, it's it, it's it's everything I think about the Tampa Bay Lightning that's got the Florida Panthers so pissed off because this year you can really hear the expectations in some of the players' voices. Aaron Ekblad has already dubbed the Panthers as the team to beat. Alex Burkov has pre- previously said there's no more excuses now. And Bobrovsky says he came here to win a Stanley Cup. You can tell that the hunger to achieve success, the hunger to win, the pressure to win is definitely present. And that is why the addition of Joel Quenville behind the bench and his assistant Mike Kitchen is so crucial to this season going well because you need guys that know what the day-to-day grind of winning a Stanley Cup looks like. You need guys that can help build winners. And Joel Quenville built three in Chicago. Um, So he's done it before and he's done it multiple times. Um, The thing that's plagued the Panthers in the past has been their their starts to to NHL seasons. Like they would have a strong second half in Bob Bugner's first year and they showed signs of promise during the second half of last year's seasons. But in both cases, a slow start plagued their season. And in uh, Gerard Gallant's um, final half season with the Panthers, a slow start cost him his job. So for whatever reason, this team has struggled in the past to start off a season on the right note. And they play a bulk of their tilts in October on the road. So their resolve will be tested right away. Um, The talent is there. We know that. But can they build a winner? And that is... I think a big reason why um, they swung for the fences and landed Joel Quinville is they need leadership on all fronts, not just on the ice, but behind the bench. And I think that's something that maybe proves to everyone that this year is going to be different. This year, the Panthers won't actually just sit there and play dead. They're actually going to be a legit threat throughout the season. but outside of goaltending, outside of star power showing up and special teams thriving, depth is going to be the question mark for me. Is Nola Chari, Brett Conley, and Anton Stroman going to get the job done? And it's part of that reason why I chose Brett Conley as my player to watch, because I really don't know if last year's version of Brett Conley is the real deal or if it's just a mirage. Like, if you look at what Brett Conley did with the Capitals last year, he was getting paired with guys like Kuznetsov and Barana, but also with guys like Burakovsky and Lars Eller. There wasn't that much of a safe place to put him. He was just basically juggled around the Caps lineup. But he's still got 22 goals. He's still got 46 points, averaged under 14 minutes per game, only had two power play points the entire year, and still posted his best NHL campaign to date. So his attempt to replicate last year's stats is definitely going to be interesting to watch and um if he can do that the panthers are going to be even tougher to play against because i also think uh someone like frank vetrano is going to have a good year too but uh, i'm really interested to see what conley can provide yeah 
Um, it's funny you like to your two players to watch so far are former Bruins. Um, <laughs> I, I I doubt that was intentional, but it, it yeah, no, funny. it wasn't. I just noticed that. Um, yeah, yeah. I so I I originally had the Florida Panthers at six because I wasn't sure if Bobrovsky was going to be enough. Um, Bobrovsky low-key did not have a great season last year. Um, so to his, to his standards, no, he didn't. Right. So that's where I, I get a little bit concerned, and I'm not sure if he – and I still don't think he's worth $10 million. But then when he – I forgot that they got Joel Quenville, and I think that could be enough where I feel like, you know, he's one of the best coaches in the league – um, even like, you know, he's, he's won the, he's won, he has three Stanley Cups for a reason. That's not, um, a fluke or anything like that. So, um, I, I would say that I think, um, so I have the Florida Panthers fourth in division, um, instead, um, and maybe they'll get a wild card spot, um, as well. Yeah, um, I think if everything goes right for Florida, 95 to 100 points is definitely realistic. 45 to 50 win season, yep. can totally see it. But they're not finishing in the top three. I have them a solid four. But, yep. um, Figured. you know, it, it, maybe they do finish in the top three, but I, I don't see it this year anyway. Maybe next year. This year, I still think um, teams like Boston, teams like Toronto and Tampa, like they're still on yep. another level. Um the Panthers, I think it's something they can definitely build on next year. But I think for a team where you don't know what to expect, I think it's safe best to put them fourth, and especially yeah. in this tough division. Maybe if you put them in a different division, they do better. But in this division, I think they're a solid four. I could see like this team, like uh, not being like as good as we expect them to be, because I feel like this yeah. is. Like, I think that's why I'm, like, less high on them is because I feel like we say this every year where, like, yeah, oh, Flo we, this is going to be the year where Florida before, makes yeah. that jump, and it, it never actually happens. So yeah. I'm, like, that's why I was hesitant to even put them fourth or fifth even. So, um, but I think I have to because I forgot about the Quenville stuff. I'm still not 100% convinced that Bobrovsky is going to be the guy there in Florida, but... Um, I mean, it, it is definitely an improvement from what they had beforehand. Um, imagine, so. imagine if they have a if they have a strong year and somehow Sam Montembeau is their guy to start the playoffs. Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, <laughs> that could actually. I mean, that would be funny. Yeah. That would be catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. I Ten mean, million we'll, on the bench. <laughs> yeah, Ten million on the bench. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, expensive goalies, uh, Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they, yeah. they, their best player is a, a very expensive. Goalie as well, and Carey Price, um, but uh, they're—I mean—that's their best player. Um, it's really like ride or die with Carey Price. If Carey Price is on his game, the Montreal Canadiens are unstoppable. Um, if he's not on their game, they're not—they are stoppable. Um, uh, should, should paraphrase on his game and healthy. Because there was one head. season where Carey Price was on his game, then he gets hurt, don't hear from him again, and the and uh, the Canadians plummet. So yeah, I guess that's on that's his game good. and healthy. Those well, are the two key words. I think and I think that's in that order. I think that's implied. If if you're on his game, you are healthy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> as, as, a, as for their forwards, um, you know, they do have Max Domi, um, uh, Thomas Tatar, um, and uh, even Jonathan Drouin, um, and all that stuff. Um, there, uh, Max Domi, Thomas Tatar. Uh, did you know that Max Domi had 72 points last year? I did not realize I was that. taking a look at his stats, and I'm thinking, yeah. wow. You talk about underrated players. I didn't even realize how good of a season he had until yeah. I checked his stats and, from last year. And the next highest player on the Canadians um, had 58 points. Um, and that so would be Druin, right? No, Thomas Tatar. Oh, wow, it was Tatar, okay. Yeah, and in fact, Philip Deneau had 53 points. Uh, which no speaking about underrated <laughs> no one's really talking about him and uh, jonathan Druin had 53 points um yeah it's probably because like you said Gary price was saving their ass so we exactly. barely noticed oh yeah they have they have an underrated offense yeah in, in that sense for sure um as for their additions and subtractions here um they added keith kincaid uh ben shiriot and nick cousins um, they don't have Jordy Ben or Andrew Shaw anymore, though. Or 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 uh, let's not forget Anthony Niemi, who barely played last year yeah. because he sucked. Yep, Anthony Niemi. Um, I have a feeling that Cole Caulfield's not going to play uh, this year, but he does have an outside shot um, at making the team. Um, I think I saw him that he's. Like, the Wisconsin hockey is already starting, and he's on the lineup, so I think he's going to play in, um, in Wisconsin. But uh, Yeah. Uh, but I, I did add him just because he may have a chance. Because, you know, people were saying that Caulfield was going to be, like, a, like a should have been picked third or fourth overall, um, and that didn't happen, and he slipped all the way to 15, which is unbelievable. Um, and as a Bruins fan, I hate that because <laughs> yeah. I, um, it, it, as honestly, an American it, Bruins it, fan, it, I hate it wouldn't that. surprise me yeah. if he, if he like if he was like brought up in March and then he turns pro. Right. But at the same time, maybe take the college route with yeah. him for as long as you can, and then bring him up because like that, it's not like bringing in Cole Caulfield is going to change where yeah. the Habs stand in the division, right? And it's uh, it's also like he has like speaking of some his his future teammate. He has the makings of like a Brandon Gallagher type of player where he <laughs> scores a lot of goals but like isn't very tall. Um, and that's like the only knock on him is that he's not tall. Um, and maybe, I don't know about his defense stuff, but um, I feel like he has like, so he, like Gallagher will be able to mentor him. And I think like no other team could probably do that other than I guess like the Bruins with Marshawn. But, um, mm -hmm. But, like, he has that same type of uh, style as Gallagher does just because they have the same kind of size. Um, and, and they both can score goals. But, anyways, enough about Cole Caulfield before I get, I, I get angry that the, the Canadians <laughs> stole him. Um, my, um, yeah, I mean, I've already mentioned what I think about the Canadians. I think Carey Price is... Basically, I mean, he is probably the best goaltender in the league when he is on his game, and that's going to be the big question mark for um, for the Canadians. And, of course, they have a pretty good um, offensive core. Um, 
I think the bigger my player to watch though this year um, is it's kind of twofold. Um, is their former uh, is the speaking of Cole Caulfield? It's their their draft pick that they picked first um, last year in Jesperi Kotkinemi. Um, I I think there's a lot of people or from Habs fans and I you know I have a I've been in a couple of fantasy hockey leagues. A lot of people are excited about Jesperi Kotkinemi, um, and they aren't necessarily high on Philip Deneau. But when you look at Philip Deneau's stats, um, like he's like, did you know that Philip Deneau? I think in terms of faceoff wins, I have to relook this up, but. In terms of faceoff wins, Philip Deneau had like the most, I think the third most faceoff wins last year, um, which is incredible. It's something that's like not really um, talked about. Um, let's see here, Philip Deneau. Okay. Well, yeah, especially when you consider yeah. that the biggest knock on Montreal is like, where's their number one center? Exactly. Like, if you finish third in like faceoff wins. Oh, okay. uh, Never mind. It's, no, it's finished. not the number one center you were hoping for, right. but like that's still pretty good. No, he he finished seventh, not third. My bad. Okay, well that still yeah, a top still ten finish good. is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So and he also had like fifty eight points last year. So that's like that's all fifty three points last year. So it's like mm-hmm. you know he he low key is a top line center this year. I mean obviously fifty three points isn't a, like what you expect. Like that's kind of low tier for centers, but at the same mm-hmm. time, um, he had a pretty good year when he was healthy, um, and I think he he could be the um, he could be a top line center this year. But maybe like you know people are excited about Kotkin and Emmy, and he's going to be he's going to take over Philip Deneau's spot. Um, not to mention Max Domi is also a center now, I guess. So it's like, you know, that's where I, I kind of, it's kind of, I guess, three-pulled. I'm kind of um, getting a little bit, uh, it's more like a situation to watch is who's going to be the top-line center. Because Philip Deneau has the stats to prove it, but um, he doesn't have the upside that Domi or Kotkinemi have. Um, and um, so I'll be curious to see if Deneau will ever, will be able to sustain that um, that center, that top line center role that he had, that he did really well with last year, um, and, and all that stuff. Um, and then yeah, as, oh, yeah, sorry. Sure. Uh, I thought you were, you were no, going no, to keep, 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 keep going. Uh, you're, okay. you're almost on your train. I thought I'd keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, as for my predictions, um, I almost had the Canadians at four, um, because I feel like they did enough and I'm just scared of them um, in general. <laughs> but I, I just, um, I, I put them six. Um, I, I feel like the Florida Panthers and the Sabres did enough where um, they, uh, they did more than the Canadians did. And, um, and, I, I, and, and it's not to say that I think the Canadians are bad, um, but I think I have them six in the in the division because they could they they could make the wild card spot, 
but I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the Sabre, they're just in a tough division where it's tough for me to see them beating out the Sabres or the Panthers or, of course, the top three uh, teams in the division as well. So um, it's, it's just tough for me to, uh, for that. But um, I do have them six. I think they do have a lot of good things going for them, unfortunately for me. But um, at the same time, um, I, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I just don't, I don't think they're there yet. Yeah. Still, still have a ways to go. I, yeah. I, I think, I think that's around my analysis of the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, there's no doubt they have a pretty good future with, uh, Paling and Caulfield and Suzuki. Yeah. There's a lot of prospect type for the blue, white, and red. Um, I'm also interested to see what Jonathan Druin does this year. Um, there was an article written about a week or so ago by Eric Engels of Sportsnet, a uh, beat writer for the Habs for them, and really delves into what Druin has been doing this offseason to better prepare him for the season ahead. And I can't remember if it was Engels who tweeted this or if it was John Lou from TSN. Anyways, one of them tweeted that Druin recently consulted Habs assistant coach Dominic Ducharme about what he needs to do to get better. And for those wondering, oh, who the heck is Dom Ducharme? Well, he was the guy that coached the Canadians to World Junior Golds a few years back and also coached the Halifax Mooseheads in 2012-2013 to a Memorial Cup title. That team had Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Drouin on it. So obviously he knows Jonathan Drouin pretty well and Drouin seems to have a lot of trust in him. So what's interesting about this conversation is that it wasn't and started by the coach, Jonathan Druin started the whole thing. He approached Dominic Ducharme, asked if they both could review video from last year's games with um, about Jonathan Druin's game, identify his flaws, create a plan to eliminate those flaws, and and in the and do so in the hopes of having a better season, becoming a better all-around player. Um, as to whether or not it'll work, it, there's zero guarantees of that. But the fact that Jonathan Druin is taking the initiative to do this, it, it makes me look at him a bit better. It makes me think he's striving to get better. He's taking the initiative to get better. No one's forcing him to do this. He's doing this on his own initiative. And maybe this makes him a better player in the process. The thing is, Jonathan Druin's overall game is not the Habs' biggest concern because... Okay, Jordy Ben goes, Ben Tron comes in. I guess that's like there's no difference there. But at the same time, did they really get any better this offseason? No, they didn't. Um, I hear Jason Palmerville, that might be a possibility. It hasn't happened yet. Um, but you know what? Their main target, again, for a second straight offseason was the number one center. They didn't get any response from Tavares, except I'm not interested in talking. Um, Matt Duchesne, they went after. They had a shot with him. They missed out on that. Uh, they tried to offer sheet Sebastian Ajo. They whiffed and missed there because mm. Carolina verbally matched it like a day later. Um, even if Jonathan Druin gets better, even if Jeff Petrie and Max Domi continue to build from their solid seasons last year, even if Cockney improves, Overall, this team hasn't improved in terms of depth, and I think that's bad for them because everyone else in the division, to an extent, has gotten better, um, especially the Panthers, and the depth on offense and defense remains one of their greatest weaknesses, and again, it all comes down to the Canadians will be good or at least have a shot at the playoffs if dot, 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 Shea Weber and Carey Price are healthy and on their game. 
And that's a lot to ask for the Montreal Canadiens, which is why, even though I think they may have a shot at a 40-win season, they sit sixth in the division, and um, you know maybe they're in wildcard contention, but um, they're on the outside looking into a playoff spot at this point, just with how tough the division is as a whole. So I put the Canadiens sixth in the Atlantic. Okay. So, yeah, it gets similar to me. Um, yep. Okay. Uh... All right, let's go to the um, Ottawa Senators. Your Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. My they, team. Yeah. They, um, they have a lot. You know, they added a lot, which was interesting, too. Um, yeah. They kind of had to because they were on the cap floor, and, or they had to spend to reach the, the floor um, and, and all that stuff. But their major ads were Artem Anisimov, uh, Nikita Zaitsev, uh, Ron Hainsey, Tyler Ennis, Connor Brown, and Ryan Callahan. Um, their major. Well, it is it, to be precise, his contract. We yeah, got his contract. I mean, he could play, but yeah, you're right. He, yeah, he, not I, like I added him, but yeah. Um, <laughs> major subtractions are Cody Cece and Zach Smith. Um, yeah, I mean, you can talk about your your predictions or what you think of this team and your players to watch. Um, as well, because you also get the player to watch on your team. Yeah, which is which is great because I love talking yeah, about my team. Exactly. I don't know that. Um, what's also interesting is they did keep some guys. Um, there was Anthony Duclair, Marcus Hauberg, Christian Malanen, um, Nick Paul, Anders Nielsen, which was a, a pleasant surprise. Um, Andreas Engeland as well. Um, they, they also lost Ben Harper and Mike Condon through trade. Magnus Piarvi, they didn't keep around. They didn't keep Brian Gibbons around either. So um, there are a couple of minor departures. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's interesting uh, what, what they've done with their team um, this offseason. And maybe now Pierre Dorian can finally look ahead to the future that awaits the franchise instead of looking back at – probably the worst season in team history let's let's face facts last year was a rough year um and i feel a bit of excitement coming on as a result i'm looking forward after seeing what some of the rookies were capable of last season to see what the youngsters can bring this year um drake batherson showed a lot of signs in belleville uh, last year uh even in the nhl last year that he could be a very solid player for this team he was an ahl all rookie uh, 22 goals, 62 points in 59 games. That's pretty good. Um, I would think Alex Formanton and Logan Brown will get another season in the minors to impress. Um, I probably see them more so in the A level than up here in the NHL. Max Verano could get some time in the AHL and the NHL. It all depends on how his camp goes. Um, Christian Malanen uh, could be up and down as well, but I think he's got a lot of upsides. Uh, obviously, Thomas Shabbat with the incredible year that he had. There's a lot of promise there. You also have Max Lachois and Eric Brandstrom. Uh, Marcus Hogberg played a major role in Belleville's playoff push last year that just came up short. Hopefully, he continues to make strides. Um, Andrews Nielsen coming over from Vancouver emerged as a solid contributor down the stretch. Uh, Anthony Duclair showed some top six value. Um, but still, you look at the Sens as a whole. They gave up 302 goals, the most in the league. They were still pretty bad with Stone, Duchesne, and Dezingle on their roster. Their penalty kill is just as bad. Um, and while I think it will improve with the additions of DJ Smith and Zaitsev and Brown and Hainsey, who 
Um, apparently, he also spent a lot of time on the penalty kill uh, in Toronto. Um, I, I definitely don't see the light at the end of the tunnel as for um, the Sens getting out of the league's bottom of the barrel. Um, I, I'm going to be blunt. 25 to 30 wins is the best this team is going to do this year. They're going to be dead last in the league. Hopefully, they the, the lottery is on their side and they actually get a lottery pick that they can keep. Um, so um, I don't expect them to finish above the bottom 10, though. They're going to be a bottom 10 team. Bottom five, bottom three, worst team in the league, that's all possible for this team. I, I don't expect much from the sense at all. Yeah. What I do hope and expect is the young guys to continue to step up, and this is where I get to my player to watch in the sense here. So I'll get to my player to watch first, which would be uh, Brady Kachuk. Uh, and I say that not because he's the Sens' best player. It's it's also he's because he's the most intriguing. Because when Mark Stone left for Vegas, he was thrusted into bigger roles, and his offensive game actually really took off at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, in his final 20 games, he had eight goals and 14 points. His average time on ice per game was over 17 minutes during that stretch. Yep. His in a single quarter prior to that, it was just under 16 minutes. Um, 20 plus goals, 200 plus shots, 45 points, crappy Senators team for a rookie. That's very solid. And I think you will see a full season of Brady Kachuk in a top six role, maybe on the top line even. Um, and hopefully he continues to be good. The Sens news that I have is a six year extension for Colin White. And this is a very positive step in the right direction. Um, I can see Colin White definitely becoming a guy that averages at least 55 to 65 points a year. Um, he had five power play goals last year, 14 goals on the year, um, 41 points. Again, for a guy that um, saw his ice time rise by almost three minutes per game compared to his rookie year, uh, when you consider that he was fifth amongst sports in total power play time. Um, I really do believe the sky's the limit for him. And if you put him in more situations, if he gains more confidence, um, I, I think he, he can develop and, and give a lot more to this team. Um, I also like this extension because, believe it or not, the last time the Sens gave out a contract extension longer than six years was back in 2014 when Brian Murray was still the GM and the hamburger run hadn't even happened at that point. And that contract went to Bobby Ryan. So that just goes to show you how long it's been since the Sens have really committed to a player for the long term in such a manner. And when you look at the guys that hopefully will be a part of the future moving forward, guys like Brady Kachuk, guys like Jake Batherson, Thomas Shabbat, maybe Eric Brandstrom as well, hopefully, um that is where you need to establish some trust with the fans with the players that if if we think you're a part of the future if you continue to show that you're going to buy into the system that you're going to make the team better that you're all in to this project we're going to keep you around and we're going to show you how much we believe in you and that's why i think the colin white extension was super crucial is because the sense after months of just trading everyone the fans really got to know over the past couple of years finally decided to commit to somebody and that's what they need to continue to do and this was a step in the right direction i'm glad they got it done 
and uh, can't wait to see what Colin White provides. But as a team, the Sens aren't going to provide much except more of the same misery. But uh, at least we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. For us Sens fans, um, in theory, it only gets better from here. Yeah, the thing I was going to say for Brady Kachuk, it's, um, yeah, Colin White should be their top line center, and it'll be interesting to see um, how he does when there's not as much pressure for them. I think, like, it's interesting because the last two seasons have been hell for the Senators, yeah. and now it's like, okay, now we can actually start to really rebuild here um, and and do all that stuff, and and that's where it'll get interesting in, in that regard. Um, yeah, Colin White, I mean, I, I like him because he's like a Boston boy, so um, <laughs> I, I do root for all every player that's from Boston um, or from Massachusetts, I root for, generally speaking. Um, unless they're on the Canadians, that's better. <laughs> but, yeah, every, <laughs> that, that's the only exception. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I do refer him. And Brady Kachuk's also from uh, around here, I think. So. Well, well he, has, he, has, yeah. he has ties to Boston because he played college hockey there, right, I believe. Sure. But I don't think he's from Boston. Oh, he's yeah, from... oh yeah, he's from St. Louis, right. Yeah, but he, has, he, he does have close ties to Boston because of his college hockey days. College hockey, right. Um, and Colin White went to BC, Kachuk went to BU, so that'll be an interesting... Um, line up uh, for, from that perspective because um, they're you know they're big rivals here yeah um, and the sense also have josh norris i forgot to mention him oh yeah he went to be you as well yeah. I'm, sure. I'm interested to see uh what he does this year for sure play. um yeah uh but yeah you know you do have a good point i also want to mention thomas shabbat um and uh eric brandstrom um those mm-hmm. should be interesting to see as well um, and and how they do uh, there, but yeah, no, you're right. In terms of like, in terms of the Senators now, it's like okay, the team is going to rebuild, um, and I think they are bad. Where it's pretty much just Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk, who are the only two like really good players on the team, and um, and that's not enough to to win a lot of games in this league. Um, so, um, yeah, I have them at eighth. Whereas, like, you know, like, if you compare them to Detroit, at least Detroit has Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha. Um, Athanasiu has his moments as well. Whereas the Senators just have Shabbat and Kachuk at the moment. And Well, um, if you look at the Bruins, they yeah. had 259 goals for last year. Yeah. The Sens had 242. No, interesting. So but that's, for, for a team that could barely win, they they could they could score a decent amount. That's true, but that's a team that had Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, and Ryan Dezingle. For half the year, yeah, I, yeah, re- I, so. I realized that. But 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 even <laughs> still, like yeah. scoring scoring wasn't an issue, and and they had some pretty good games when those guys weren't around. So. I guess yeah, I mean that is a good point. It's, it's like they are. I feel like at best, um. They could be seventh in the division, um, but at worst they'll be eighth and one of the no, worst no. teams they'll, of all time. They'll be eighth, one hundred percent. Detroit's yep. better than them. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like at best, they're at seventh, but they're yeah. more likely to just be eighth, um, and all that stuff. But 
Um, the, yeah, we'll the, see. the most hilarious thing, the most hilarious thing would be if Ottawa overachieves, finishes sixth, and higher than Montreal. That would be the oh, biggest be win. For yeah. if, if 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 Ottawa does better than Montreal, that'll be a win. I'll classify that as a win. Uh, you think? <laughs> I think it, I would, it would, class- it would take everything to go right for Ottawa and everything yeah. to go really, really wrong for Montreal. Although, actually, it's, it's stranger things have happened. Actually, the the best situation for you guys right now is you have to get the first round. You well, have to yeah. get Alex Lafreniere. That's like yeah, that yeah. would be your, that would be the main goal. So if you were to beat the Habs, it'd be like, all right, we beat the Habs for one year, but then we kind of need Alex Lafreniere. Whatever. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's like from worst to first. Um, yeah. They, uh, they also, they made a lot of minor moves, but they did make some moves, um, as we'll mention on the last, these last two teams, because they also have, like the Bruins, they also have uh, some RFAs to sign, um, and they may not be ready by the start of the season, as we mentioned in the last, uh, last week's episode. So Braden Point is still yet to sign. But they still that still didn't stop the Lightning from making some moves. Um, they added Kevin Shattenkirk, Patrick Maroon, Curtis McElhaney, and Luke Shen. Um, but they subtracted J.T. Miller, Ryan Callahan, um, and Connor Ingram. The last two didn't play at all uh, for the Lightning, but uh, so there's not going to be that much of an effect. But J.T. Miller may have an effect on them. Um, nah. However. Nah, I, I so they'll they'll be able to get by. They well, they, I said they some. Own. They may he may have some effect on him. It's not like yeah, he's like a terrible player. I, but I but wait wait wait. I I do want to qualify it before you uh, talk. Uh, Patrick Maroon. They did get Patrick Maroon, who could take over J- the J T Miller role. It'll um, be for them. Yeah. What uh, were you gonna say something? I. I, said, I, uh, I meant to say Strowman and Girardi have also left their blue line. Oh, that's too. true. So too. they lost a bit of blue line depth. I, I would say that was probably their biggest loss was blue line depth, but yeah. other than that, they're okay. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention Strowman, but I guess I, I did mention him in Florida when I was talking about Florida, but I did not yeah, mention true. him here in Tampa. But yeah, no, that's, that, that is true. I guess Strowman may have a big impact. But at the same time, like they have head, like Shannon Kirk isn't that. that bad of a replacement um, from mm-hmm. Stallman. Um, and Eric Cernak is actually pretty good too. But yeah, overall the Lightning are like, you know, they had the historically the best team, regular season team, and then they get swept in the playoffs. And uh, that's really what <laughs> their season came down to. It's like, it kind of showed that like we kind of, everyone uh, not just us, but everyone was like putting the lightning into the Stanley Cup Finals um, before the the playoffs already started, just because of how good their their team was from uh, start to finish at the beginning um, uh, uh, during the whole season, um, and that's because guys like Kucherov, who had 128 points, um, more points than McDavid had. Um, by like quite a big, by ten points there. Uh, Steven Stamkos had a 
had a great season as well. 98 points. Braden Point had 92 points. Um, and then Victor Hedman had 54 points, which is a lot for a defenseman. But I, before I just list all the players, all the points that players had here. But um, those were the main ones. And that was a big reason why they were able to uh, play all that. Um, yeah, and um, before I get into my players to watch, what are, what are your thoughts on the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, it goes without saying the way their season ended last year. is probably one of the worst ways yeah. anyone's season can end. Getting swept by a team that's never won a playoff series and you have a 62-win season and the way they just dominated. I, I think it, it, was the, it was the mother of all upsets. Like, no one saw it coming. No one saw, well, maybe some saw the Columbus Blue Jackets beating Tampa Bay, but maybe it would take like six, seven games, probably with the logical prediction. Getting swept by Columbus was just a shock to everyone's system. Yeah. Like nobody could believe it was actually going to happen. What I liked about Tampa is they made some minor moves, but they also made some really good minor moves. Um, they get a veteran like McElhinney to back up Vasilevsky, um, a guy that was a part of a pretty good success story in Carolina, that a team that went to the conference finals. Um, they, they, they went through a special run last year. Patch Maroon with the Blues also went through a special journey, uh, won the whole thing, scored that massive OT, double OT winner against Dallas uh, to send him to round three. So he brings about some character. You get a motivated defenseman like Shattenkirk, who's had two forgettable seasons with the Rangers, lost his job because of that. Um, and then you keep around Cedric Paquette, you keep around Vasilevsky and Braden Coburn, and you're able to do all of this while keeping enough money for Braden Point. Um, I think this team knows where they messed up. Vasilevsky says it felt like they got too comfortable in the playoffs and they really bit it as a result. And they're hungry to prove people wrong. And I said it when they got eliminated, the Detroit Red Wings of the 1990s didn't become great right away. They went through a shocking defeat at the hands of the san jose sharks early in the playoffs one year they lost to the devils in 95 um in 96 they didn't even make the stanley cup finals and then in 97 98 2002 they they won the whole thing and they had to learn a lot before they got to that point where everyone took them seriously and i think tampa bay is maybe not stack for stack going to be as good as they were last year because last year was one heck of a year. Um, but I can see 50 to 55 wins at least. They're going to be in the hunt for the President's Trophy again. They're going to be in the hunt for the Eastern Conference's top seed, which means they're automatically first in the Atlantic Division. I'd be surprised if they get uh, anything less than 50 wins because they just have everything. They have star power, they have depth, a blend of old and new. They are the deadliest team in the NHL, even after everything they went through. And um, I think they're going to be first again as to what happens in the playoffs. Hopefully, for that, for their sake, this year is their year. Um, but this team is built to win. So I expect them to do just that. Yeah, I, I also have them first. Um, I... I do think that, like, 
you know, there, I guess there are some concerns about, like, maybe they're going to take it, like, you know, maybe they're going to follow the, um, the Washington Capitals route, where they kind of take it slow and steady um, in, um, in the regular season and then actually like, pick it up in, in the playoffs um, and, and, do, and do that after years of like uh, doing really well in the regular season and all that stuff. But, um, so maybe that's what they're going to do. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think this, there, there's, after like a sweep like that in the season that they had, um, there's really like either this could like this could make them like put them into a complete collapse of a team or this could like give them motivation to do better this time around and um, that's really what's going to ride around I I'm going to bet that this is going to give them more motivation to do better uh, this year um, because it's like, all right, you can have like a historic season, regular season, and you can be like, like a Goliath, but you know, you're like basically the uh, for going with this analogy that I just made up, the playoffs are like David, you know, it's it's yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a it's another beast in that sense. So yeah, and um, and yeah. I nothing says they can't be another yeah. they can't be another Goliath, True. but. They just need to handle success better. Yep. And I think down the stretch, that's what hurt them. Yep. So if they handle success better, they can have a, they can have all the success they want next year, and it won't affect them unless they handle it the wrong way. And I think that's the key for Tampa yep. is handle it the right way. Yep. Um, I So for my player to watch, um, I it's kind of twofold again, um, kind of like Montreal, but... Um, I was, I was, I'm going to say it's Mikhail Sergachev and Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, yep. both of them, I, Mikhail Sergachev actually had a decent season last year. I mean, everyone on the Lightning had a decent season, um, to like, under, the understatement of the season, of the year. But, um, Sergachev had 32 points in 75 games, um, and then when you bring in a guy like Shattenkirk, um... I'm not sure what this means for Sergachev, um, because, you know, of course you also have Victor Hedman and he's going to be handling all the power play stuff, um, for the team. But then you have a guy like Sergachev who, who had a really good rookie season and he kind of like, uh, dropped off this year. Um, and, but he was still a part of the power play, the second power play, um, and he wasn't as effective. Um, so I am curious to see how Sergachev will, will which Sergachev are we going to see? Are we going to see the 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 one who like scores a lot of goals as a defenseman in his work like he did in his rookie season, um, or are we going to see the Sergachev who will occasionally score some points um, this uh, you know like he did last year? Um, so that's where I'm, I'm curious about it. And especially considering when they add a guy like Kevin Shankirk and we know what Kevin Shankirk is capable of. Um, so I am curious to see how they, uh, manage those two defensemen, um, in particular. Um, okay. Let's, uh, so yeah, I have the, the lightning finishing 
top of the division here. Uh, let's go to Toronto here. Um, they they also made a lot of moves, even though they have one player yet to sign, um, which in Mitch Marner. Um, but they added uh, Tyson Berry, Alex Kerfoot, uh, Jason Spezza, Cody CC, and uh, Michael Nerverth. Nerverth. New, it should be it should be noted that Michael Neuberth and uh, Matt Reed are PTOs. Oh, so I didn't I didn't even he, say Matt Reed. But. Yeah, so Neuberth could could earn himself a spot, especially yeah. with the departure of Garrett Sparks. That backup position is kind of wide open right now. So may, maybe he does find himself uh, on yeah. this roster on opening night, but it's no guarantee. Um, and then the the Leafs, um, they lose Jake Gardner, which we'll talk about next week. Um, uh, Nazem Kadri, and they also lose Garrett Sparks, as you just mentioned, and Connor Brown is another one. Um, yet to sign, uh, I just mentioned Mitch Marner. Um, yeah, so do you want to talk about the Leafs and then your players to watch? Yeah, so th- this... Uh... This season is probably going to be just as much of a roller coaster as their offseason changes was, largely because the Maple Leafs are the talk of Canada. Like all yep. we hear about on on TSN, all I see in the TSN website is like hashtag Martyr Watch and right. like, oh, what, what's the latest on him? You know, well, that's like, been oh, good, at least it's I gonna mean, be that's our, been happening our, 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 for the last like twenty years. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're in America, so you don't have to deal with all that uh, pro sure. stuff. <laughs> and. Yeah, even when they play Boston, you know, they'll always be pro ruins. But anyways, um, and, and you know, let's talk a load management with Freddie Anderson. It worked for Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors, you know. Should we manage his minutes? Well, yeah. it all depends, first of all, if they, if they can get a solid backup goalie. Maybe Michael Hutchinson's that. Maybe Michael Neubert is that. Right. Um, but Garrett, we know, is not. And um, like you said, they had to they had to make some changes. Um, Kadri... Um, hit the road, Tyson Berry comes in, so does Alex Kerfoot. Um, you could have a deadly duo on defense with uh, Berry and Riley if you wanted. Maybe he gets paired with Jake Muzzin. There are a lot of unknowns with this Leafs roster. Um, they also brought in a lot of NHL potential bottom six guys like um, Pontus Auberg. They also brought him in. Um, there's that. this guy named Kali Casella who... Um, had a pretty strong season in the AHL. Um, maybe uh, there's a door open for him. Uh, you mentioned Jason Spezza. That's another key addition. Um, but there's a lot of other moving parts to this. Um, they, they do have a bit of security in the front office. Shanahan's there for another six years. Um, they kept Sheldon Keefe as the coach of the Marlies, so that's good for their development. A lot of faith and desire in Toronto, too, and... I think the narrative is forget about what's happened the past 50 plus years where you haven't won a Stanley Cup. Forget about what happened last year with the Bruins and the year after that in 2013. Um, just focus on this year. And you're, you're seeing a lot of positive vibes from the players. Uh, John Tavares had a chat with NHL.com. Uh, not worried about Marner at all. He's confident everything's going to get sorted out. He's confident about the team as a whole this year. Uh, about Austin Matthews and his leadership abilities. Uh, Willie Nealander says he's driven to dominate this year, all about proving people wrong this year. Um, 
the narrative, like I said in the past, it's it doesn't matter how good Toronto is in the key in the key moments, they're going to choke, and they're motivated to change all that. And um, I I do think that Frederick Anderson is going to be the subject of load management because, uh, like I said, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors have benefited them. Um, I think Frederick Anderson has been played too much the past couple of years, and that's why in the playoffs he hasn't really performed and if Tuka Rass showed you anything it definitely worked out for him and the Bruins um, so um, I'm interested to see how they manage uh, Freddie's workload this year um, believe it or not the Maple Leafs also have 11 picks in the upcoming NHL draft so they have a lot of promise in their prospect pool already they have a lot of picks to choose from this year um, and you know they have Rasmus Sandy in the farm system it doesn't matter how short-term their defense is right now with Muzzin and Barry. They still have a lot of promise on the back end, so it'll be interesting to see in a couple of years how this team looks like. I'm also interested to see how they utilize their power play with the addition of McFarland. Uh, he created a top three power play with the Panthers last year, and I would say the power play is one aspect of Toronto's attack with all of the talent at their disposal. That was really off and on. It was hot and cold, inconsistent throughout the year last year. Maybe McFarland has the secret ingredients that makes them that much of a better threat. And I think um, if the Leafs have a solid power play, that just adds a new dynamic to their game. For as far as a player to watch goes, I think Kasperi Kapanen, um, he made a lot of strides last year uh, from an offensive standpoint. When Nylander was absent, he was really carrying the load. Um, my main question and the reason why I say Casper Captain is going to be interesting to watch this year, it's going to be interesting where Mike Babcock slots him. Is it going to be on a top line role? Is there going to be on line two? What about line three? Um, who is he going to be paired with? Um, all of that's going to be interesting. And uh, for that reason, Casper Captain is my player to watch. And uh, as for my prediction, Leafs will finish second in the division. I thought you were, I mean, the interesting thing about Kapanen in particular is because of Mitch Marner, if this, like, holdout happens, like, like in the first couple of, uh, you know, if this goes into the season, um, which it very well could, um, you know, Kapanen could uh, take advantage of it, like he did last year when William Nylander held out for a long time. Um, so, um, Kapanen could also take advantage of that as well because Marner is also a right winger as well. Um, yeah, the, the Leafs are an interesting team because they definitely have the talent up front with John Tavares, Austin Matthews, and Marner. Um, and I, I, I think Nylander's going to bounce back as well. Um, Zach Hyman and uh, Andreas Janssen are also good players too, or good complementary players to all those other players I just mentioned, so um, that's where um, that's where it will get interesting too. Um, and I I do like the the addition of Tyson Berry. I think uh, this arguably the acquisition of Tyson Berry is more scary um, for the Leafs than uh, John Tavares um, last year, um, just because like the the biggest need for the Leafs for the longest time was a defense, like their defensemen were terrible. And then when you get a guy like Tyson Berry, who could, you know, is exactly who they're looking for, 
that that is as a Bruins fan that is where I'm like all right they they actually have a pretty good team now uh, <laughs> as, as opposed to last year but um I mean they had a pretty good team last year too but uh, like like they improved a lot on their defensive side of things which makes them a more complete team um, and and that's where I think I could see them surpassing the Bruins in the division but I I'm a bit of a homer, and I put the Maple Leafs third here. Um, we should also talk about how Freddie Anderson is also one of the best goaltenders in the league, despite having bad uh, defensemen in his uh, stead. But um, so that he's been pretty good too, um, as well. Um, and he keeps. And like I said, well. I think load management has been the downfall to yep. his earlier years in Toronto, where it comes to playoff time, and he's just overwhelmed with shots. Like if you're going to be a defense that gives up a lot of chances, and Frederick Anderson has to bail you out every time, uh, you've got to even out his starts. And the, whoever the backup is is going to have to have a good year because yep. I think. There needs to be a solid one-two punch in Toronto or else they won't go far. Or yeah, as far as people think. That is actually a good point that I never really thought about. But I wonder if... Because it seems like more teams like use their backup more often. But I'm looking here. like Frederick Anderson played 60 games. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he w- he did have good numbers. But I wonder if like maybe, maybe there is like a fatigue factor there. Maybe you should start... like I don't know if... However, I don't know if Michael Hutchinson is going to start 20 games or so. Like, he should be start. Maybe, like, I don't. I wouldn't feel comfortable having Hutchinson start, like, 30 games. But I think you could limit uh, how many games Anderson plays. Because, it, like, it, like, Bobrovsky didn't play as many games. And he was phenomenal in the playoffs. Tuka Rask is another example of that, too. Um, so, a uh, Braden Holtby, when he won the Stanley Cup, he didn't play as many games. So it's like it's it's kind of a big trend now in the NHL where I wonder if Frederick Anderson does play more often. Um, yeah, it, well, what's interesting is there was there was a point in the year last year where Anderson got hurt and Hutchinson right. was actually called up, and I think he and Sparks actually split time. So it. It's True. they they have a bit fair bit of confidence in Michael Hutchinson and if they had confidence in Sparks they wouldn't have traded him obviously. Fair, so, yeah. True. Um, I I think the Hutchinson experiment, uh, in theory, will work out better than Garrett Sparks. Garrett Sparks. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. Um. All right. So that c- concludes our preview of the Atlantic Division. Um, because because uh, there's still some hockey news, um, that happens. Um. We're gonna do a rapid fire. We don't want to like leave it all to um, everything, so we're only gonna keep it to the big news. Um, there was Jake Garner who signed, but since we're gonna cover Carolina next week, we're gonna talk about that next week. Um, but um, and I think there was something else that I was going to mention. But the other big news that happened um, that's worth talking about is uh, Clayton Keller. He signs um, an extension with the the Arizona Coyotes. Um, it's eight years, seven million annual average value. Um, this is interesting for Clayton Keller just because he he had a good year last, uh, you know, his rookie year. Um, 
and he is definitely going to be a big part of their core, of course, um, which is why you sign him long term. My only concern, though, is that um, he had like a he had a twenty point drop last year, um, and um, it wasn't like Arizona really. Um, made any huge changes from the year before to last year to make this um, happen. Uh, he had 65 points um, his rookie year um, in 82 games, and then he had 47 points the, the next year, or last season. Um, and that is a bit concerning, um, just because that is a pretty big drop-off. Um, and, um, so I am concerned about that aspect of things, but at the same time, you know, you add a guy like Phil Kessel, um, and, you know, Keller is probably their best player just in terms of upside, um, but, um, and he has the potential to be very good, um, and Beacons, it's just more a consistency thing, even though it's still, he's only played two seasons so far. Yeah, so we'll get to, to the bigger picture of, of how it impacts everything else in the NHL, but we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at his first two years uh, in detail. Um, in his first year, he averaged just over 18 minutes per game, uh, played in 82 games, got 23 goals, like you said, 65 points, also had 20 power play points, which for a rookie is yep. pretty good. Um, he actually finished second in total power play time in the Coyotes behind Oliver Ekman-Larsen. He had over 247 minutes. Um, which is pretty solid, again, for a rookie. Also had 42 takeaways, tied for the team lead with Derek Stefan. Um, it, early on in, in his first season, he got off to a hard start. In his first 22 games, he had 11 goals and 18 points. Um, decent quarters two and three, but in quarter four, he had 21 points in 21 games. Um, he was also being paired with the likes of Christian Dvorak in quarters two and three spent time with Stefan in quarters one and four. So probably Derek Stefan had a bit of something to do with his uh, success throughout the year. Um, his sophomore season, let's face facts, it was a minor step back. It was an 18 point drop, um, but his time on ice to start the first quarter of the season wasn't that big of a dip compared to um, his quarter one from his rookie year. Um, in quarter one of its rookie year, his TOI average was 1928. It was still around 18 minutes per game um, in quarter one of year two. He still had 12 points in 19 games, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and during most of that time, he was paired with Galchenyuk. Um, 18 points in 23 games in quarter two, so near a point per game player, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, during that time, his average time on ice was down by four seconds compared to that first quarter, but his average power play time on ice per game was up by nine seconds compared to that first quarter. Quarters three and four, he got a combined five goals and 17 points in 40 games. That's where his game kind of took a hit. Um, like his six power play points uh, over quarters three and four were three less than the nine he got in his second quarter alone. But in his defense, there were a couple of things going against him. First off, he got a steady dose of Nick Cousins in the final two quarters, and he would be alternated on several lines that included guys like Alchenyuk, Connor Garland, and Christian Fisher. 
Um, so when you look at his 14 goals and 47 points in 82 games and you look at the playoff run or the playoff push anyways that Arizona went through in the second half, that was involving a lot of games where I think offensive production, individual offensive production took a hit and was focused more about playing a team game, a good solid team game for the greater good of the team. And they almost made the playoffs because of that mentality. And yeah, his offense probably took a hit, but if it was to um, better his team's chances of winning and getting into the playoffs, I'm sure he'd be willing to take that bullet. At the end of the day, last year, he still got 200 shots on goal, which is 12 shots down from his rookie year. He averaged 30 or more seconds on the power play per game in his second year than he did in his first. Um, and his addition, his time on ice per game overall was an additional nine seconds compared to his rookie year. So his TOI average actually went up compared to year one. Um, he had 19 power play points, only one off of his rookie total. Um, he had over 288 minutes on the power play, which was actually better than the Swedish law firm last year. So he actually led the Coyotes in power play time. And if you look at his giveaways in year one to year two, he had 50 giveaways in year one, but just 37 in year two. So he he actually turned the puck over fewer times in his second year. So I think we shouldn't focus on last year so much when it comes to Clayton Keller and focus more on the fact that, you know what, hey, as a rookie, he posted pretty good numbers on a team that didn't really have much to offer. And there's a reason to justify paying him over $7 million per year before he even plays his third season. But I can also see from that same mentality, from what I gathered on social media, why people are so hesitant to pay him over $7 million per year so soon in his career because like, he wasn't supposed to be an RFA right now. In 12 months' time, he was going to be an RFA. Why would you sign him now as opposed to just waiting until he's played a full season, maybe with Phil Kessel and seeing what kind of player he is at that point. The danger with that for the Arizona Coyotes is by then, Matthew Kachuk, Mitch Marner, Patrick Laine, all of the key RFAs that we've been mentioning for the past, I don't know, however many weeks now, all of those cases are gonna be resolved and the market for Clayton Keller will probably be set. And if he's worth more than what he's getting paid right now, that could, actu- that could actually be a decision that haunts the Arizona Coyotes because now they're probably going to have to pay Clayton Keller more money. And I also I also think that's that's kind of why they decided to get this out of the way. What What's also good about this extension is that you get Oliver Ekman-Larsen locked up long-term last offseason. You acquire Phil Kessel this offseason. You get Clayton Keller signed long-term this offseason. You're just really building off of the positive vibes that you have established over the past 18 months or so. And I think it's really good for a fan base that's really starting to get behind this team. And really, this team is really becoming relevant for the first time in probably a decade. Um, After so many years of missing the playoffs, you know, you need something to cheer about. And I think it all starts with being proactive with really building the future of your franchise and really committing to people and 
that's why I think it was a very proactive move for John Chaka to do this, not just because he might save some money down the road if Clayton Keller becomes the player he's hoping he can be, but um, I, I also think it's a very proactive move because it shows the fans, hey, we're committed to these guys, we're ready to win, let's do it. Yep. So um, I think, and I think overall this deal, it's one of those that you really have to play out. It could be good, it could be not so good, um, but I can I can really see it being a bargain of a deal uh, if the other RFAs really get paid and Keller ends up being just as good value wise as the rest of them. Um, and I and I think Brett, I don't know what you think, but I find it funny that this RFA signing, this pending RFA signing is what could set the market for guys like Dabrinka, guys like Besser, guys like yeah. Marner. Be, it, it, like, not even in the same RFA classes them, and they may have unintentionally set the market for everyone else. Yeah, I guess it could in retrospect, because he could be classified like uh, what Braden Point and Mitch Marner are getting as well. Um, yeah, when you when you went through that whole spiel, I found it <clears throat> interesting with because um, I had forgotten that like Christian before because you mentioned Christian Dvorak was his linemate, and I'd forgotten that Dvorak also had like missed most of last season um, due to injury and whatnot. So maybe they, they get, missed, uh, I know. don't I can't remember was there anyone on that Arizona Coyotes roster besides Keller that played the full eighty two games? Um, because, like, a lot of a lot of people were banged up throughout the course of that yeah. year. Um, I can check that quickly right now. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Probably, probably only a handful of players, honestly. Um, like Nick, Nick Schmaltz, I know for sure didn't because yeah, he, he suffered one, a season-ending injury. Um, let's see here. The only one to play, I mean, Oliver Ekman Larson. Oh, so the only two, <clears throat> the only two Arizona Coyotes that played 82 games. Um, is Clayton Keller, as you mentioned, and Nicholas Jarmelson. Um, Nicholas Jarmelson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you have, I mean, Oliver ekman Larson had played 81 games. Um, Nick Cousins and Lawson Krause also played 81 games. So that technically they played a full season. But, um, yeah, those are the only two to play a full season were Clayton Keller and Jarmelson. Um, yeah. But, like, I had forgotten, like, also, like, Nick Schmaltz is another one, so, um, and then they're going to add Phil Kessel, so, like, his supporting cast did get better just because he's going to have Christian Dvorak and Nick Schmaltz back, and maybe Phil Kessel will help, uh, uh, you know, ease off the pressure a little bit from it, from that perspective as well. So, um, I do like the deal, I, I do want to say that, but... It is a little concerning um, that he he did have a drop off in that regard, um, so that's where I'm like, okay, may, like yeah, it is. He did have a great rookie season, and he is he was their best player. But like, can we really can we really hold it off to the fact that he would like the Coyotes were uh, like basically a B team at that point? Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, that, I guess that's where I'm is on, on, on health and production as yeah, well with this sure. Coyotes team. It, um, and, and it's like, it, like even already, he's going to be a big part of their core um, regarding what that core is. Um, it remains to be unseen, but 
we already know that he's going to be a big part of their future. Um, anyways, uh, we're, we're reaching towards two hours here. Um, Lace Em Up is uh, our Lace Up Pod is our Twitter um, and our wait, is it Lace Em Pod? I always forget this. Lace M E M Podcast. Lace Em Podcast is our Twitter. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, I am running out of my voice. Uh, my voice is running out, um, but it's okay. I'm watching. Going to watch football pretty soon. Um, go Pats! Um, you can email us at uh, laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. Oh, SoundCloud and um, and all that stuff um, and iTunes and Spotify. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 184 when we talk about the Metro Division on the Lace Them Up podcast.